Now it is 7 a.m., uh, 14th of July, 2018. We are in Jakarta, Indonesia. 18-year-old Adi Adilan is sleeping out at sea uh, in his wooden fishing hut. Uh, the hut is tethered to the seafloor. Uh, he is 75 miles from the Indonesian shore. You see, Audi's job each night is to light the lamps uh, strung around the huts to lure fish in, right, to the traps that are below the hut. As Audi has been sleeping, the hut has been lurching where he is, right? The heavy winds uh, of the ocean have whipped up the waves around it. And Audi, as he thinks about this, he thinks that he has felt the anchor rope break a little, but he is not sure. But then he notices that the heart has actually moved where he is. And he realizes now that he's adrift in the vast Pacific Ocean. So what he does is he does what you'd expect him to do. He picks up his walkie-talkie, right? And he calls up his friends. He says, from the boss, tell him that my anchor has snapped. But they can barely make out his words. The distance now between where he is and where his friends are is just too great for him to be able to reach them. And so what happens is that he continues to drift. One day passes. No help. Another day. Three days. Then it is two weeks. Audi is still drifting and he is now terrified. He started drifting with a month of supplies, rice, spices, coconut oil, fuel for the, genera- for the generator, and a drum of fresh water. You need that, don't you? But it is now running out. As another week passes, he has floated thousands of miles away from home. He is now marking the weeks so he doesn't have to lose track of time. You need to do that, isn't it? He's marking those weeks. But you see, as the days of endless horizon just drag on, he is increasingly despairing. His eyes now, for the 18-year-old, they're just filled with tears. He cries at night. He is thinking, actually now, about even taking his own life. You see, what started as a normal day in his life, just a normal day out of the sea, is now moved into darkness. It is swallowing his life. Audi is literally at the end of his rope. Life is full of many lost at sea situations like that, isn't it? Situations where we don't know where to turn for rescue and we are desperate for comfort. Think about it. At this very moment, as we are sat here this morning, Someone in Bexley Heath is probably waking up with an illness with no medical cure. And she's feeling helpless about her future. Another person in Bexley Heath is probably making a cup of tea and fighting back tears in a losing battle against depression. A dark cloud hangs over his life. Someone has just found out that he has lost a loved one and is wondering, what does the future hold? Someone perhaps has a secret addiction to painkillers 
She knows it's destroying our life, but is powerless to stop it. Because she needs them to get through life. Someone is probably fearing for a marriage. Just wondering, is the marriage going to be there in a year's time? She lives with endless anxieties. Another person is perhaps struggling at this very moment in Bexley If with the bullying boss at work and they don't know what to do. What am I getting at? What I'm getting at is that life is full of crises that makes us feel empty or joyless. The question is, why are our lives often so dark like that? Why do we live in a world of so much pain and disappointment? Why this emptiness all around us? I mean, how do you answer that question? You see, the world with all of its experts cannot give us any meaningful answers to those questions. At the best, at best, all the world can say to us is that this is just how life is. Just we live in a broken and hopeless world. They can't tell you why, they just they will acknowledge it. But what about the Bible? What does it have to say about our hopeless situation in the world? Actually, the Bible's answer starts with bad news. The the bad news is that our situation is actually much worse than we realize. It's actually much worse than all those things I've just described that people are right now experiencing. It's bigger than our daily struggle. You see, everyone is facing three hopeless situations. You are facing three hopeless situations in your life, whether you realize it or not. First, all human beings are currently drifting in the hopeless sea of human sin. We have all rebelled, sufferers and non-sufferers. All of us have rebelled against the God who created us in his image. We are like Audi Adilang there, just drifting in the helplessness of sin. And this is why we never feel satisfied, no matter how many things we have. This is also why people are always fighting against one another. Do you know why you're always fighting against other people? Because you're a sinner. It is the reason there is so much suffering in the world, because suffering entered when sin entered the world. Human beings are not living as God created us to live. We have all rebelled against God. And that's why we suffer. It's original sin, you see. So the first hopeless situation is human sin. The second hopeless situation you're facing is that all of us are drifting in the hopeless sea of death. The Bible says the penalty of our rebellion against God is death in all of its manifestations. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, their spiritual life with God died. They could not relate to God because they were full of sin. And after they died physically, right? After that, they died physically because God couldn't allow sinners to live forever. So all human beings now die. There is no vaccine against physical death. Why? Because we are all spiritually dead. We've been cut off from the life of God. And what that means is that when people die physically, they go to hell to suffer never-ending punishment from God for their sins. Why? Because God is holy. 
Our sin must be punished. So all the human race is drifting, including yourself. You are drifting in the hopeless sea of death. That's the natural condition. Everyone is born under the darkness of spiritual, physical, and everlasting death. That's the second hopeless situation. Sin, death, and the third hopeless situation you're in, that all of us are in, is that everyone is born in a spiritual prison run by the devil. An angel who has now rebelled against God. You see, our problem is not just sin and death. There is a devil out there. The devil uses sin to control people. The devil wants you to keep sinning against God and remain on the road of sin, on the road to hell. Because you see, the devil's one goal for your life. What does success for the devil for your life look like? Well, the devil's success is to deliver you to hell. And you see, no human being, no human being can resist the devil on their own. You are too weak for the devil. Not only because the devil is a supernatural being who is greater and powerful than you, but because you are born in sin. Your heart is full of evil and rebellion against God. It's an easy thing for the devil to deliver you to hell. So those are the three hopeless situations. That is the bad news, isn't it? The life of every person is more hopeless than we can ever imagine. But there is the good news. It's one word. Christmas. Christmas. The Bible says that God became a human being that first Christmas. He came to rescue us from darkness Jesus is God the Son coming to be our everlasting comfort from these things. And we find this amazing news in all the events we've been looking at in Luke chapter 1. As we've been making our way now, we're, coming, we're, we're sort of in the middle of chapter 2, right? The final third, we might say even, right? And now we've come to this passage in all of these passages, we've seen this good news, and we now come to this passage in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 33. It has more good news for us here, because you see, this passage is a record of, of the encounter of baby Jesus with his earthly parents, uh, with an old saint, an old man called Simeon, during Jesus' first visit to the temple. And in this encounter, oh, we find that tremendous good news. We can summarize the good news of this passage as simply this. In one word, it's in your outline. In one, one sentence, Jesus is God's gift of lasting comfort to us. We see that in this passage. Jesus has come to bring lasting comfort from those three desperate conditions that uh, I was talking about. Please look with me at verse 25 there. Verse 25, Mary and Joseph, so Mary and Joseph have come to the temple, have come to Jerusalem, and they have come to present baby Jesus before the priest as required by Jewish law, right? Now, in the city of Jerusalem, there is a man, Simeon, uh, who has been waiting all his life for the desperate situation in the country to change. Look at verse 25. There was a man... In Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for what? The consolation of Israel. 
And the Holy Spirit was upon him. I just, I just love how the Holy Spirit is all over this text, isn't it? What a God. He's feeling, he's feeling Mary, he's feeling Elizabeth. The gospel has been brought by the Holy Spirit. Let's carry on. Verse 25 there, right? This man is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, many of us are looking at, at the country at the moment, and things are terrible, aren't they? Things seem to be getting worse each day. And we are desperate for this country to be turned around spiritually, to be changed. And we could even say economically you can do with some readjusting as well, politically. But as bad as the situation is in this country, Simeon's situation is much worse. Because you see, his, his country is under a brutal Roman occupation. And this occupation is being overseen by King Herod. We'll meet him later. But uh, uh, it's being overseen by Herod. And, and the Jews uh, are, are treated... Herod, by the way, is an Edomite. Right? Strictly speaking, he's not a Jew. He's an Edomite. And the Jews living under Herod are, are treated as second-class citizens in their own country. It is a state of humiliation. It's like living under the Taliban or ISIS in Syria. The people desperately need help. And many have lost hope of change. But a few people like this man Simeon, you see, are still trusting that God will intervene to change things for, the, for his people. They're not just ticking the box like Zechariah, going to the temple, being righteous, but not really expecting God to move. Simeon is different. He's beyond Zechariah. He's, he's, before Zechariah, of course, was filled with the Holy Spirit. But he's beyond how Zechariah was in the temple. This man believes in the consolation of Israel. We are told here that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, the word consolation means solace or comfort. Simeon is waiting for his people to be alleviated of discomfort. And God the Holy Spirit has filled this godly man with hope in face of despair. Are you going through a despair at the moment? You know what you need? You need the Holy Spirit to fill you with hope in face of despair, as he's done to, uh, to this man Simeon. Let's read on verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You know, since the Old Testament, days of the Old Testament, God had promised his people that he would send them a deliverer. We've talked about that already in Luke. A ruler, the Messiah, or the Lord's Christ. I love the, the titles of Christ. Is, is, is Christ the Lord's? We've seen that. Now, is the, is the Lord's Christ, isn't it? And God, the Holy Spirit, you see, has somehow revealed to Simeon that he's not going to die until... This lasting comfort of the Lord's Christ, of Christ the Lord, arrives through, of course, the Messiah himself, Jesus. This is a most extraordinary promise, isn't it? That you're not going to die until the Messiah comes. <laughs> what a promise. You know, people promise us many things. Oh, man. How many promises have you made this week and how many have you kept? <laughs> not a lot, right? We promise people all the time. People promise us many things, but no one in this world can guarantee anything. And I keep saying that. You know why I keep saying that? I keep saying that because chapter 1 and 2 is all about God's faithfulness. The most dominant theme is that God is faithful. That's what Christmas is about. We'll say more about that in a moment. The point is this. People promise us things, 
And they can guarantee those things. Except God, isn't it? The promise God has given Simeon is not like a promise we get from well-meaning spouses. I'll be there in sickness or death. Wow. We know that no one can guarantee us that. Because they themselves uh, may die before they can be there for us in sickness and in death. It's not even a promise like we get from well-meaning football managers who definitely win the league if we spend X amount of money. Well, no one can guarantee that, right? Sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. But the point is, it's uncertain, right? All man-made promises are uncertain, right? They are never guaranteed. God doesn't promise us like that. God's promises are always a cast-iron guarantee. It will happen. Why? Because God is all-powerful, all-knowing, right? And all-present. But it's more than that. It's because God is all-loving. He's committed to his people, therefore he does what he promises his people. He loves Simeon, and therefore Simeon finds out God is about to come through for him. The moment old Simeon has been waiting for has come. He sees Mary and Joseph enter the temple, doesn't it? Let's read on verse 27 to 31. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And with the parents brought in the child Jesus. To do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you are prepared in the presence of all peoples. We just pause there. (laughs) What a strange way to say about a child that you hardly know. Simeon grabs this child, right? And and, and he, he says these things about the child. Who he's never met before. Imagine a stranger saying that about your child. I mean, what would you do? Yeah, you just run away, wouldn't you? <laughs> and you make sure you tell the police about the incident, just in case, right? But this is no ordinary child. This child is the Messiah. Simeon says this child is a fulfillment of God's promise to save his people, right? But notice that this is not just to the nation of Israel. God is offering this lasting comfort to anyone in the world who trusts him. Look at verse 32. It will be a light to the, for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Anyone who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus, the Gentiles are the non-Jews. Anyone who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus, regardless of background, will find lasting comfort and salvation in this Jesus. How is this possible? Well, it is possible because we've read the rest of the book, haven't we? We know this baby Jesus in the gentle hands of Simeon is God himself entering human history. That's chapter 1 and parts of chapter 2. We've seen that. This is the, 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 the sensation of good news of Christmas, right? The central message of Christmas is that salvation does not come from ourselves or, or, or from following some super religion or, 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 or having some sort of great scientific formula. No, as I keep reminding you, true salvation comes from God's action of sending his own Messiah at a particular place, in a particular time, and through a particular person. And this person is God himself who has put on our humanity as the Lord Jesus Christ. This baby, Jesus, 
is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. And now, as we read through now from chapter 2 onwards, right, we will see that this baby grows up and he dies a shameful death on the cross among criminals. Why is he dying on the cross? Well, he's dying for your sin. Remember what I said? Remember those three hopeless situations you are in, right? The hopeless sea of sin, the hopeless sea of death, the hopeless sea of the devil. Well, Christ dies on the cross, you see. On the cross, he pays the wages for our sin, right? We deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But God, in his rich mercy, has come to us in Jesus to pay off the debt, to take care of that debt issue, right? And as Jesus died there, you see, he rose from death. And that conquered death itself. And as he was dying on the cross, Colossians 2 verse 15, he triumphed over the supernatural powers. Right? For us. He defeated the devil. For us. But more than that, remarkably, because of our union with Christ, as Christ ascends into heaven, he said the right hand of God, where are you right now? Where are you? You say, I'm in Bethlehem. You're not in Bethlehem. You are sat in heaven with him. Paul says in Ephesians, we are now head and shoulders above the powers and authorities of this world, sat with Christ in the heavenly places. Christ in one fell swoop has taken care of sin, death, and Satan for us. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into his kingdom. You see, the comfort of Christmas is that Jesus is God coming as a human being to suffer the punishment on the cross for our sins and give us that new life. With God. Now, as the days and weeks pass, right, for our friend Audi, who's lost there in the Pacific Ocean, as days and weeks pass, our lost Indonesian fisherman Audi is still drifting. That's where we left him, isn't it? At the start. He's still drifting in the Pacific Ocean. And then something amazing happens. He sees an Indonesian ship sailing past. He manages to get his walkie-talkie working again, right? He talks to the captain. It works. The captain says they'll pick him up after finishing work. But would you believe they don't come back for him? The ship never comes back. And so Audi is left drifting away. The sharks now continue to circle this fishing hut that he's in. And he's losing all hope of survival. And now he runs out of water. So he starts, what do you do when you run out of water on the sea? Well, what he does is he starts dipping his shirt into the ocean. And then as he dips it out, he sips the seawater through the cloth. Right? He's hoping that will reduce the, the salt that he's drinking. After three days, by God's grace, he's still alive. And then on the fourth day, it rains, doesn't it? Oh, praise the Lord. Fresh water again. And so he's able to drink fresh water now. And yet he's still drifting. Day 49 now, he's been out at sea. And then hope arrives. A ship from Panama is sailing by, right? 
And the weak Audi there starts waving. He's waving in the air for this ship, right? And then he calls on the walkie-talkie, help, help, I need help. And then the ship actually had already passed him. And then as they get the help now, this ship from Panama turns around. They had been a mile on, but they see him, they turn around, they can see him, and they come back. They pick him up. And he is saved. Think about that. As we think about Audi's situation at the moment of rescue, I've thought about it many times. It parallels the experience of everyone who comes to true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, all human beings are drifting towards this abyss of hopelessness like Audi was. They are on the boat heading to eternal suffering in hell. You are in that boat right now if you haven't trusted in Jesus. You're drifting, right? Heading to eternal suffering in hell without any comfort, right? Desperate for survival. But the Lord Jesus Christ, you see, has come like that wonderful Panama ship to rescue us. He is our rising sun who has visited us to light as light in our deepest darkness. You see, on that first Christmas, you see, God who was within his rights to simply sell past us, God who could have just done the Indonesian ship type of routine, just kept going, right? He could have just done that to us, but he didn't. He could have, because we were still in love with our sin and hating him. But God didn't do that. God humbled himself in love. He put on the rags of our human flesh. And he came to show you the full weight of his love, so that he could rescue you, you see, for himself. God has come. Like that Panama ship. But for you to be rescued by God, you must welcome the rescue mission of Jesus. And that starts with you truly accepting. You cannot save yourself. There's no one who's a Christian who has first not come to that position of accepting, I cannot save myself. Have you done that? If you haven't done that, you're not yet converted. Genuine conversion starts with accepting you are completely helpless. You cannot save yourself. You need God to rescue you. You need the Lord's Christ. You need then, having accepted that, to put your whole trust in the death of Jesus. His death and his death alone for your sin. Ask God to truly forgive your sins because Christ has paid the penalty for your sin. And if you do that this very moment, your sins will be forgiven and you will become a child of God. You will have life with God in Jesus. It's not the promise of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Imagine a person under death penalty. And this person is also infected with a terminal illness, right? Just imagine that. They have death penalty and they have a terminal illness. It's a terrible situation to be in. You see, if that person now is simply released from prison, it won't do them any good. Why? Because they're going to die anywhere from the terminal illness. 
So getting rid of the, the death penalty doesn't help them. But if that person is just cured of the disease and they remain on death row, it does them no good either because they'll be executed. They need a double solution. Yeah? There's a guy called Tim Bergen. Uh, uh, the Tim Bergen principle, I, I don't need to go into it, but simply says two problems require two solutions. Right? It's impossible to solve two problems with one solution. Christ does, of course. But humanly speaking, you need two solutions, right? That's the Tim Bergen principle. In this case, that person needs to be cured of disease and they need to be set free from prison. When you are that person, you need God not only to forgive your sin against him, by Jesus dying for you, you need God to give you new life by living in you. It's not just forgiveness of sin you need. You need regeneration. And you need union with Christ. You need Christ to live in you, share his life with you. And this is what God is offering us through one person, the Lord Jesus, defying the Tim Bergen principle, right? Jesus has come, one person, to live, to die for you and live in you, to be your very life. To give you the lasting comfort of God from within. Whatever your situation, this lasting comfort of God through Jesus is the answer to all your deepest longings. Cry out to Jesus to save you today. Oh friend, don't just come to church. Week in, week in, week out, but no true relationship with Jesus. What a terrible situation to be in. Why would you do that to yourself? Cry out to him to truly save you. Let it be real change in your life. Now, if you are a true follower of Jesus, let me just leave you with three comforts of Christmas that old Simeon wants you to remember this week. Three comforts. First, because Jesus came that first Christmas, all people of God have the comfort of the peace of God in face of all dangers. In face of all dangers, including death. Look at verse 29 to verse 31 there. Look how Simeon responds when he sees Jesus. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you are prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. It's amazing, isn't it? As soon as Simeon owes baby Jesus, he feels ready to die. Oh, that's the life of a believer. That's the life of a believer. Peace with God makes peace with everything. He's ready to die. Why? Because he has met God in the flesh. Beloved, he has met God in the flesh. And now he can't wait to see him face to face. He's ready to die because he's looking at this world and he's tired of it. He's tired of it. What more can this world offer me? Career, job, family, none of that compares to the glory ahead. He's ready to go. He's ready to meet his maker. I'm not saying this, 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 this means that we should be pro-death. No. But that relationship with Jesus brings such tremendous peace that it releases a hold on this life. We see the world differently. We see the world differently. We see the world now as a world under curse. A world to be enjoyed, yes, because it's God's creation, 
but to be taken very carefully indeed. And not to allow it to get anywhere in our devotion for Christ. That's just a bonus point. The point here is, one of the marks of a truly converted child of God is that she does not fear death because she knows absent in body is to be present with Jesus. And here is a key point. If we have no reason to fear death, if we have no reason to fear death, surely working from the greater to the lesser, is there anything else we need to fear? If death is not an issue for you, do you need to fear what tomorrow holds? Do you need to be worried about your future? Of course not. But we are anxious people because the fundamental issue in our life, we forget the fundamental thing that God has done for us. He has dealt with the biggest problem in our life. He has dealt with death. Surely, if we allow that truth to sink in, we will know that God will look after us in whatever situation we are in. If you are a true follower of Jesus, know, beloved, that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus. If you are a true follower of Jesus, God our Father genuinely loves you and is deeply fond of you as his own precious child, bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is now your king. He's your brother, he's your friend. He will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what life brings, he's always with you. How can you be sure of that? Because he has taken care of the hardest thing. He has defeated death for you. Such true strength Christ has shown on the cross for us in his weakness. Delivering us from death. And even old Simeon, without the benefit of the cross, looks at Jesus and says, this is enough for me. Lord, now... You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen Jesus. My eyes. Have you seen Jesus this morning? If you have seen Jesus, rest in the comfort of God's peace that Jesus brings to you in whatever situation you are in. He himself is our peace, says Paul. So that's the first thing. Rest in the comfort of God's peace in Jesus. A second comfort for us this Christmas here is that because Jesus came that first Christmas, you have the comfort of God's faithfulness in whatever difficult situation you are going through this morning, whatever suffering is in your life. Look at verse 29 again. We shouldn't miss that. 29 and 30. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You've kept your word. What is this word? For my eyes, for or because, my eyes have seen your salvation. Do you see that? Simeon is praising God for keeping his word to Simeon and his word to the nation of Israel by sending the Messiah, the Lord Christ, Christ the Lord. He's trusting in the promises of God. And Christmas is reminding us to trust in the promises of God. Trust his word, beloved. Trust what he has said in his word concerning you. That you are the apple of his eye. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That you you have heaven assured. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. Trust his word that all creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Trust his word that you 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 have died with Christ. To the elemental spirits of this world. You have died to this world. 
and you have been raised with Christ. And you are sat in heaven with him. Trust his word that his second coming will be your second coming. Trust his word that the Holy Spirit lives in you. He will never, he's there, he's your comfort, he's, your, he's the paraclete, he's there to comfort you, to strengthen you. Trust his word that your prayers are welcome in the courts of heaven. Trust his word that Christ is on tenterhooks waiting for, to come and take you home. Trust the word of God. You know, the media was so amazed by the survival of Audi Adilan. And she, you know, so the media did what the media does. So they asked him, what kept you during this time? What kept you during this time? How did you occupy yourself? 49 days drifting. How did you do it? You know what he said to them? He said to them, when I was crying, the only consolation I had was reading the Bible. I worked my way. Listen to this. Some of you need to learn from this this Christmas. I worked my way through the books of Matthew, John, Isaiah, Genesis, and Psalms. And then he said this. Matthew 6, verse 9, the opening of the Lord's Prayer particularly struck in my mind. What kept Audi consoled in suffering are the words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The fatherhood and the holiness of God is what kept that 18-year-old. When life was bleak, what kept him was the knowledge that God was his father. And like Simeon, Audi trusted the God of Jesus who keeps his promises. And this is what should keep us going today. No matter what issue we are facing, we must trust the word of God. We must trust his word. We must treasure his word. It must sink in, beloved. Praise the Lord, he had a Bible with him. He was reading that, obviously, so he was able to work it. Some, I mean, that's a question for some of us, isn't it? Do we keep our Bible so close to us that in time of crisis, if we are stranded somewhere, that we'll find it, we'll, people will find us with it? That's a question. But for some of us, even a question for us, you know, do you, have you hid the word of God in your heart so that you might not sin against God like they like David, like the psalmist says, Psalm 119. Assuming it was written by David. Know the word, beloved. Christmas reminds us that we serve a God who keeps his promise, right? But we need to know his promises to us. We need to study them like Audi. We need to treasure them. And when we know these promises, we can be sure every promise God has made in the Holy Bible, he will keep. As I said, I've been thinking about this issue. We have heard so many times as we've been going through Luke about the faithfulness of God. In fact, someone after someone I've been thinking, you're going to tell them again about this. <laughs> you just, that was the application last week. But it's there. Sermon after sermon. And I've been asking myself, why? But why are you repeating this message of faithfulness? I think perhaps there are some here, maybe. I mean, it's there in the Bible. But God has brought us to look. Perhaps there are some here that needs these words. You're a believer, yes. But maybe you've grown tired of trusting in the faithful promises of God. And God is saying, trust 
my faithfulness to you. That it may be. But it may also be like Richard Sip says. Three ways God comforts us with his word. God sometimes comforts us when we are in trouble and the word comes. God sometimes comforts us as we come out of trouble so we can understand how we went through trouble. God brings the word. But I think more often than not, I can't prove it, God sometimes comforts us before we enter into trouble. God knows, beloved, what's around the corner for you in 2024. Could it be he wants you to take note of these passages? Because when trials come and they will come, 2024 was not the way, 2023 was not how you predicted to be. Know the word, beloved. Know the word. Know it now. Trust the promises now. You don't know what tomorrow brings. God is bringing this word of comfort in advance, as Sibs would call it. Know it. Don't take this word of God for granted. Don't say my life is going well now. I don't need to think about trusting the faithfulness of God. Oh, you will need it. You will need it. Don't take it for granted. The Lord knows. And I think for us as a church, who knows what troubles the Lord has prepared to take us through in 2024 as a church. And he's saying, trust the promises. Trust my faithfulness now. Let us rest in his faithfulness. Finally, and I'll end. Thirdly, so rest in the comfort of God's peace. Rest in the comfort of God's faithfulness in Jesus. And finally, rest in the comfort, oh, rest in the comfort of the unstoppable glorious grace of God. Look at verse 29 to 32 there. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. We've talked about that. According to your word, we've talked about that. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Do you see it there? The glorious grace of God. That's what Simeon is kept focused on. Trust that. You know, there is woven within all of us a desire for glory. This is why we see the rich people who, who have a lot. They get excited, don't they, when they are honored by the public. <laughs> have you ever wondered? Like, they're so rich. But they really want that knighthood. They want that extra. I mean, what's going on there? You've got everything. Why do you want the knighthood? Leave that to us, right? <laughs> You've got enough, right? No, but they wonder why. Because they want glory. They, they, don't, they just want to be rich. They want to be acknowledged. There's this longing, you see, for glory. I just want to say, the longing for glory is not actually evil in of itself. It has been hardwired in us by God. You see, God created us with a desire to be significant, a desire to be honored, a desire to be praised, a desire to be exalted, right? But we were meant to find those things, not in ourselves, but in being in a perfect relationship with God and laying our glory before God, like the elders in Revelation. You know, they are crowned with glory, aren't they, the 24 elders? And what are they doing with the crowns? They are laying them before God, before the Lamb. We are created, you see, to be glorified in Him, not in ourselves. But we rebelled against God in Eden, and so all of us are now searching for glory in many things. Things which can never really plug this longing for significance. Simeon is saying here, God has come in Jesus 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for glory to your people Israel. He's saying, God has come to shower on Israel amazing glory. Jesus is the King of Israel who will be crowned with glory and splendor, and the nation will take on that. But listen, not just all, the, not just not just the believing Jews. It is all who trust in Jesus who share in this amazing light and glory of the King of Israel. You see, Jesus came to plug all who trust in him to his eternal glory so that we can enjoy the true greatness we long for. The Lord Jesus is God's gift of glory to us. If you are in Jesus, you have been crowned with glory. Yes, at the moment it is hidden. We can't see the full glory that God has blessed us with in Jesus. But one day it will be on full display, as Paul talks about in Romans 8. One day it will be on full display, as he reminds us in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 to 4. If you are in Jesus, you've been crowned with glory. Now I know as you sit here this, this morning, hearing this is easy. Living by it is difficult. It is hard to believe you share in the glory of God in Jesus when you're struggling with an illness. It is hard to believe you share in the glory of Jesus when your prayers for a marriage partner or your family seems not being answered by God. But this passage is reminding us that this is the blessing of God becoming man in Jesus. All who trust in Jesus have the comfort of his glory. You really have come to Jesus and, and his glory now surrounds you, as it were. You are bound for glory. So the question for you is, whose report are you going to believe? The report of your feelings which are constantly changing? Or the faithful word of God? Now just As I come to an end, I just want you to imagine... What your life would be like if you truly believed the word of God, that Jesus has brought you the comfort of his glory. How would your life look like this Christmas? I think it would be an end to glory hunting. Right now, as you sit here, you are searching for glory in money, in marriage, in children. You know, your happiness goes up and down depending on how your spouse treats you. Why is that? Because you're searching for glory in your spouse. That's the reality. Some of us are searching for glory in the church. Our happiness is up and down, depending on how the church treats us. There's no glory here. In us. The glory is in him. Some of us are searching for glory depending on beauty. And we're going to despair when we reach a certain age. If you're living like that. Some of us are searching for glory in reputation. Oh, friend, this is the challenge of so many of us. We want people to think well of us. We love the praise of men rather than the praise of God. Oh, how sad that is. How sad that is. There's no glory there. And you know what? The good news is if you're in Jesus, you already have true glory. Stop hunting for glory in things that are passing away. You have true glory in Jesus forever. So, remembering this truth where it stops glory hunting, and I think it will mean more denying of self this Christmas. You seek to do things beyond yourself. 
you would take up the cross and truly follow him, right? It would mean that the Lord Jesus would be first in your conversation. Because you live for his glory, therefore you want to share Jesus with others. You seek opportunities this Christmas to talk to others about Jesus. Why are you so fearful of sharing the gospel with your next door neighbor? Because you want them to think well of you more than Jesus. You're searching for their glory. Why are we struggling as a church to just put out a few flyers? Because we are searching for glory in so many things. Rather than the glory of Christ. Beloved, believing this truth changes everything. We see our lives as really preparing us for glory rather than seeking the glory of this world. You see, because Jesus left the glories of heaven for me, I share in the comfort of his glory. And I can say to Jesus, he's my greatest friend and he deserves my every, every moment in this life. And if you truly believe this truth, in the same way it will lead you to want to know more of Jesus, more of his glory, more surrendering to him. Are you trusting in Jesus this evening, this morning? Feels like evening to me. This, this morning, well, this Christmas, resolve to follow the example of old Simeon. When he saw Jesus, he rested in the comfort of God. He rested in Jesus. This Christmas, rest in the comfort of God's peace, the comfort of God's faithfulness, and the comfort of God's glorious grace in Jesus. Amen.